All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. I'll begin reading with uh, verse 11, although we're really going to start considering, we'll start tonight with verse 15, but just to get the context, we'll start with verse 11. See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these would compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Now, in verse 15, Paul, for the second time in Galatians, states that circumcision in and of itself is a matter of indifference. Now, this is in no way inconsistent with his serious warning against anyone accepting circumcision as though it were required by God. The, uh, the earlier time when Paul said something similar is in chapter 5, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now, we need to be cautious here about this verse because some have misinterpreted it. Faith working through love does not mean that faith is formed by love. This would make faith a work. But what is meant by formed by love is that faith is built up by works of love toward our neighbor. And that's the medieval Roman Catholic understanding. Nor does it mean that faith made perfect in love leads to justification. Rather, it means that faith in Christ and his righteousness justifies the ungodly. And this true belief in Christ expresses itself in love. Look at 1 John chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. 
By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment, but he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Now this whole passage speaks of the fact that we can only love because God first loved us. And God's love toward us is through Christ dying for us. And the realization that Christ has died for us and the belief in Christ for our salvation and for forgiveness of sins is the initiation of our ability to love God. So, when Paul says faith working through love, that in Christ Jesus neither circumcision or uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love, and he's talking about faith that expresses itself in love because it is a saving faith. And it is out of that salvation that God has given to us that we are enabled to love. Now, we have a similar passage to this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 19. Very much parallel. Um, Paul says, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God is what matters. Now you see how this is parallel in its content. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning with verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you a little while longer, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. So, this is what Paul means when he says that circumcision doesn't make any difference, nor uncircumcision, but the keeping of the commandments of God. And the keeping of the commandments of God only flows out of a regenerated life which God accomplishes in lost sinners who believe in him. So we see that these two parallel verses 
express the same truth as that that is explicitly stated in our passage in Galatians uh, chapter 6. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. All three passages are essentially talking about a new creation and the results of a new creation. The new birth. It's the new birth from above that matters. Not circumcision and not uncircumcision. Now in verse 16, Paul says, As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them. Now this term walk is the same word as is used in chapter 5, verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. It's derived from a word meaning a row. Uh, like a, a, a row of men who are lined up and marching. And therefore it means to walk in line. The word emphasizes the idea of an ordered walk. In contrast, the word used in 5.16 that's translated walk, walk in the spirit, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh, uh, means to walk around. And it's used as a metaphor for the whole round of activities of an individual's life. So in chapter 5, verse 16, the emphasis is on every aspect of daily life being under the influence and power of the Spirit. And in chapter 5, verse 25, the emphasis is on lining up with the Spirit in all that we do. The distinction is not really very great. It's merely a distinction of emphasis. And here in chapter 6, verse 16, we see clearly that the line-up aspect of the Word is lining up with a rule. And what is the rule? The rule is that a new creation counts for everything, not circumcision or uncircumcision. As many as order their lives according to this rule. What a rule. What a wonderful rule. It's a rule that um, is based in the creation of God. God makes us new in Christ. He gives us a new spirit. He regenerates us. And as many as walk according to this rule, Peace and mercy be upon them. So you see, Paul is basing everything on regeneration. You go back in Galatians and you see the importance of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how that ties in. I mean, it's, it's intimately connected to, it flows out of justifying faith in Christ. As many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Now, what Paul is referring to by the Israel of God is uh, a much debated subject. It's common to identify 
the two groups that are in this verse as being the same. In other words, the as many as walk according to this rule are the same as the Israel of God. Meaning that the Israel of God is simply to be identified with all Christians. So, this is seeing the Christian church as the true spiritual Israel. It's been observed, however, that if this were true, one would expect to find support for it in Romans 9, 11, 9 through 11. And we actually don't see any support for that viewpoint in those chapters where Paul deals with Israel. On the other hand, it's difficult to think of Paul as conceiving of Jewish Christians as a separate group within the Christian church. I don't think he did that. F.F. Bruce says the correct interpretation is probably that the Israel of God is the same as the all Israel of Romans 11.26. Let's turn back to Romans 11 and see what F.F. Bruce is talking about. In verse 25, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, I, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience, even so, these also have now been disobedient that through the mercy shown to you, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. So, if you look at the whole context of this passage in Romans 11, it's clear that Paul is talking about uh, national Israel. But he's talking about a national Israel that is wholly consistent of, a wholly consists in a converted group of people. And so I think that what he's really talking about is a, a converted group of people who are all Jews, who are all converted to Christ at a particular point in the future, and they are constituted as a nation, the nation of Israel. They're also part of the church. It's just like I'm a part of the church, but I'm also part of the nation of America or of the U.S. And so all throughout all the nations of the world. Now, to make it truly analogous, you'd have to have all of the people of America would have to be Christian. But um, that's what's going to happen when God finally converts the remnant of the Jewish people. And so I think that that's what Paul is talking about. Um, the fact that some Israelites 
were keeping in line with the rule <clears throat> that what matters is circumcision and what matters is not circumcision but a new creation indicates to Paul that one day God will fulfill his promise to Israel by the salvation of a remnant. There were some Jews in Paul's day, he was among them, that did not count circumcision as being anything of note, but counted the rebirth, the new birth, as being the decisive point. Now, in verse 17, Paul says, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Here Paul is simply saying, in effect, let no one interfere with me because I am the branded slave of someone else. I belong to somebody else, namely Jesus. And the fact that I belong to him is indicated by the marks in my body marks that are there as a result of persecution, being beaten, being stoned, etc. So he is the branded slave of Christ. And then he closes with the words, Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. A blessing of grace uh, which reminds us of the blessing that he gave to the Galatians uh, in chapter 1, verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God our Father to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Not a warm greeting, not as warm a greeting in the case of Galatia, as for other churches that Paul wrote to, because their heresy was so uh, dangerous. And he was fearful about them. But he counts them all as brothers nevertheless. And this is the way he closes the epistle. Now I read something at the end of F.F. F. Bruce's commentary that I thought I would uh, read to you. His concluding remarks... <coughs> And uh, I thought they were very apt. He says, There is no means of knowing what effect Paul's letter had on the Galatian churches to which it was addressed. To be sure, circumcision soon ceased to be an issue in the lands of the Gentile mission. The disappearance of circumcision as an issue could have been due in part to Paul's letter. Or it could have been due to the apostolic decree of Acts 15.28 and following, which circulated far beyond the Gentile Christians of Syria and Cilicia to whom it was primarily addressed. In any case, the Judaizing movement received a setback from which it never recovered through the catastrophe of 70 AD. The Church of Jerusalem in exile made nothing like the impact on Gentile Christianity that was made by the first-generation Church of Jerusalem. This does not mean that the positive teaching of Galatians was embraced and maintained in its entirety. The religious mind is too prone to subject itself to regulations. The liberating gospel of sovereign grace is too dangerous to be allowed unrestrained course. As Paul became less a figure of controversy, 
As his memory was venerated and his writings canonized, his teaching was overlaid with a new legalism. When, from time to time, someone appeared who understood and proclaimed the genuine message of Galatians, he was liable to be denounced as a subversive character, as indeed Paul was in his own day. But the letter to the Galatians, with its trumpet call to Christian freedom, has time and again released the true gospel from the bonds in which well-meaning but misguided people have confined it, so that it can once more exert its emancipating power in the life of mankind, empowering those who receive it to stand fast in the freedom with which Christ has set them free. Let's have a word of prayer together. Our Father and our God, we praise you for the wonderful truth of the book of Galatians. Help us not to forget it. Help us to see it or realize in every aspect of our life. We praise you and thank you for the privilege of studying this book. We thank you for the revelation that you have given to us in Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.